This is Women in a Day, a podcast created to give a deep look at the daily lives of women of all kinds, from sunrise to sunset, with Jenny Halzer and Portia Hensley. Welcome to the Women in a Day podcast. We are back after a little bit of a vacation and so excited to bring you Sarah Wolfer for episode 24. Sarah Wolfer is the CEO and founder of Girl Boss Sports, a greater Seattle area soccer company that's devoted to female athletes and female coaches. With 96% of the female C-suite executives playing sports during their teenage years, Sarah understands the positive impact that sports can have, particularly for girls. Sarah's also a professional tackle football player with the Seattle Majestics and is working on a book centered on women in leadership in sports in 2019. Additionally, Sarah is a licensed independent clinical social worker in Washington State and is passionate about breaking barriers that can hold women back in sports and in life. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right. Well, what's a good place to start? There's so many questions that we have for you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the mission of Girl Boss Sports? Yeah. So Girl Boss Sports really has two main goals, and you talked about them briefly in the in the bio. Uh, but one of them is increasing the number of women sports coaches, and that's just because there's way too few of us. Uh, for example, for soccer in the United States, only 21% of coaches are women. And so that's definitely something that we want to focus on. And so I've hired nine coaches now, other women, and I'm training them and supporting them. And we have this community of women supporting women who are all soccer coaches. And that's been a really powerful impact, I think, on the company and on obviously the girls that we're working with. And so that's one of the goals. And then our second big goal is really keeping girls in sports. And it's because of what you said, again, during the bio, the 96% of female C-suite executives having played sports in their background, and then over half of them having played at the university level, we just can see that there's such a, a correlation between success in life and playing sports, especially during the critical years of middle school and high school, which unfortunately is when a lot of girls are dropping out of sports. Uh, I think, for example, by the age of 14, girls are dropping out of sports at twice the rate of boys. And so that's just something that we really want to change by providing this experience. And so right now we're focusing on soccer, but I definitely, you know, I'm pretty idealistic and visionary, but I have plans to expand into other sports in the future. Uh, but we provide this you know, sports experience all through the lens of what a female athlete needs. And we have the benefit of having female role models in our coaches as well. That's amazing. I think having a woman coach another girl or a woman is so powerful. How did you get into sports and what made you so interested in coaching? Yeah, so I have been playing soccer since I was four years old. So it's been a lifelong love affair for me, always been a part of my life. And, you know, I played in college, I played semi-pro for a couple years. And so it's just always been something that's been a huge part of my identity and part of my life. And then I started coaching when I was actually 14 years old. And I started coaching two-year-olds, which is definitely, you know, a whole other experience. (laughs) Don't touch the ball with your hands is pretty much all we focused on. Um, But that was actually my first job as a, you know, in general, but also as a soccer coach. And so it's always been now a side hustle for me for the last 15 years. And so I've coached, you know, from, again, two-year-olds to college age to private lessons, schools, just all sorts of different settings. And yeah, so that's how sports is really what I got, how I got started in sports. 
You mentioned about when girls really start to leave sports during those really crucial middle school, high school years. Why do you think that is? So there's a lot of research around this, but there's also a lot of anecdotal evidence that I'll say, you know, for example, and, you know, sometimes stories are more powerful than actually just quoting the statistics. And so, you know, I've had experiences as an athlete and as a really competitive athlete growing up. You know, I can think of one time I had this male coach who we were having a conversation that started out six feet away from each other. And by the end of it, he was right in my face, probably an inch away. And I still remember all of the expletives and the screaming and the spittle that, you know, hit me in the face. Um, And then I remember when I turned around and walked away after we were done, I just started bawling. And then because I was crying, I got kicked out of practice. And that was just this really formative experience. Obviously, nobody should have to experience something like that. Right. Um, But he definitely, you know, he's gone on to coach men and boys. And from what I've heard, he's been much more successful doing that. But I know for me and many women and girls, we don't respond well to someone screaming in my face. Um, And so that's definitely, you know, an example of a time that I actually, after that situation, I did not touch, I quit the team. I did not touch a soccer ball for an entire year, like one whole year when that had been such a huge part of my identity. And finally, I'm really lucky that I was able to, you know, get my passion back for it and realize that it was just one person. I I didn't want him to have this lifelong impact on me, just never touching a soccer ball again. And so I was able to go back to the sport after that. Uh, But many, you know, I, I said, I just hired nine women coaches and I've had, you know, told them this story and then they usually share stories with me as well. And many of them have had very similar experiences to that or worse or some, you know, slightly better. But we've just had these experiences with coaches that haven't gone well. Then there's also, you know, I, for me as a female coach, I think we touched on it earlier, I just really relate to the female athletes on a different level. I understand what it takes to be a female athlete and the barriers that we are facing yeah. that men don't. And that's just kind of across the board. Boys and men aren't going to experience the same uh, disadvantages, whether that's in sports or in life. And so I'm able to talk to the girls uh, about how I've gotten through those moments. What do you, you know, think? Like even communication, that's a big thing that a lot of the girls I coach really struggle with is just even speaking up on the soccer field. And I remember when I was facing that issue, too, and how hard it is to tell somebody, you know, man on or give me the ball, just really like demanding the soccer ball on the field. And I'm able to talk to them about how I got through that and then also how it relates to what happens in real life and how advocating for the soccer ball on the field relates to advocating for myself in work and in life. Absolutely. So what are some other challenges that you think the girls that you're coaching are facing that women coaches can speak specifically to? Because I think this is really good, especially if we have listeners who have female athletes and want to know more about what their experience is like. What are some other key things you think they should be hearing about? So the adolescent years in general, so this, I guess, also comes from my social work background. Like you mentioned, I'm a licensed social worker, and that's been my primary career up until I started my company. And so I was doing that for, let's see, seven years. And so my understanding of human development and child development, personality, all of that also kind of, you know, assists my coaching style and how I'm leading my company. And so I understand that those periods of life in general are hard for all kids, but especially girls. There's a huge drop in confidence and in believing in yourself. And so that's also a big one that I see in a lot of the girls that I'm coaching. And so really talking to them about self-talk. So I just finished a clinic in March. And so every single week, you know, we focus on three main things. One of them is the soccer specific skill, like how to soccer. The other one is what your body needs to be able to do to play soccer, like speed, agility, endurance, all of that piece. 
But the third one is my favorite and to me the most important, and that's focusing on these other things I'm talking about. So communication, confidence, leadership, team building, sportsmanship, all of the other things that go into having a really strong mentality, both for sports and in life. And so talking to the girls about those things, uh, one of my favorite moments during this was we just had the last week of the five-week program. And when I started hearing the girls, you know, I asked them what did they learn through the program and for them to be able to repeat back the things that I had said. Um, and it just was, was this moment I remember I asked one of them, you know, why is it important that we work on our leadership? And one of the girls was like, because there's not enough girl leaders in this world and we need more of us. <laughs> I must have said that at some point during this clinic. Um, and so those moments when I really heard them and even just talking to them to each other and encouraging each other and using a lot of the same words that I use, this was this moment of, oh, wow, this is really working. Like they are actually understanding how to be confident, how to use self-talk, why that's important. Uh, we talk a lot about the messages that you know we're already giving ourselves, but society is also putting on us as girls and as women, um, and the, that dip in self-confidence and just really battling through that. And there was another moment where I heard one of the girls tell the other girl after she said something like, "There's no way I'm going to win this. She's two years older than me." Um, we had talked a lot about you know being an underdog and how you know it's okay to have you know people have low expectations for us, and then we can just you know bust through all of those. And one of the other girls started encouraging her and saying, no, 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 remember your self-talk. And again, there's this moment of, wow, they're actually like, you guys could all be coaches now too. Uh, so those are kind of the other, the lessons that we work on as well that I think a lot of girls are facing at that age in general. That's really powerful. Yes. I think that that's such a missing piece in training women and just training athletes in general is that mental game. And then yes. I like that you also take it up to the leadership level where you're teaching them that everybody can be leaders and that's developing future coaches. Like you say, that's really yes, cool. That's, that's my favorite part is talking about the leadership. So I focused for two weeks of the five on leadership just because it's one of my biggest passions. Where did you learn about leadership? So that goes back to when I first started being a captain for my teams and around the same time that I started coaching. So probably, you know, early high school and I knew I had kind of wanted to be a leader, but didn't really know exactly what that meant. And I still remember my dad gave me my first leadership book, and that was by John Maxwell. And it was the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. It's very dry, but really good. And when I read through that, and then I started being captain and being a coach and actually being able to put those those uh, principles into action, that was when I first started just absolutely loving leadership. And then when I was a social worker, uh, after graduating college and all of that, after a year of being in the direct service positions, I was promoted to a supervisor. And then ever since then, so for six out of my seven years in social work, I was a supervisor or manager of several programs. And I loved it. I just love talking about leadership. I love being a woman in leadership. And I was reading way too many books, probably you know, 40 or 50 leadership books a year, really a big nerd about it. And so that's, it's just definitely been something, one of my biggest passions in life in general. That's so cool. I love it. I love that you have a background in social work because one thing that really is interesting to me, um, having kids who play sports, is just once you get to the competitive level of sports, it feels like um, there's a really clear division between the kids who are able to participate and those who are not for financial reasons, transportation reasons, whatever it may be. Um, so do you do some outreach to communities that you think are really being underserved by having sports in their lives? Yes, definitely. So that's... Coming from social work, that's also a big part of where my heart is at, is that social justice piece. And often, you hit on it already, but often sports can be only for 
the the rich or more privileged children and so that's something I don't want to just perpetuate and so one of the things I'm working I'm talking to a whole bunch of other you know social service agencies and other parts of the community that are doing work in this area you know one of them is this organization I'm hoping to partner with where they right now only have it's technically co-ed it's for people who are experiencing homelessness and that's kind of where my prior prior work was before you know creating girl boss sports and they create a team of people who are homeless and they go and they have a tournament i think once or twice a year and i was looking over their website and i saw that there's not really any women pictured and so i reached out to them and so we're in the beginning stages of hopefully setting up a partnership in which we can create a women's team um and so it wouldn't be for girls at this point but at least you know kind of breaking barriers in that way too and having a woman's team only led by women coaches and bringing a whole woman's team to these tournaments. Uh, I think they're in California. And so that's definitely something that I want to do. And then I'm also talking to other agencies and seeing about how else can we make sure that we're, you know, making these affordable uh, for anybody that wants to play soccer. Where do you, where are you getting funding for this? Because it sounds uh, like it is. I am bootstrapping it. <laughs> so basically, all all of my own lessons that I yeah, that's really how I started was all of my own lessons I was doing. I put all of that money back into the business, into hiring the coaches, getting them equipment because I don't want there to be barriers for women coaches to join and you know stay in their roles. And so I've tried to remove as many of those as possible, which obviously also means it's a little bit more expensive on the front end for me. Uh, but I think I think the dividends are going to be great. Just you know, buying the equipment for them, making sure they have the appropriate attire, training them, creating you know, creating content for them. Because I've also found that there's a lot of uh, anxiety around being a first-time coach, and so probably half my coaches have never been a coach before. And so, and that's something that I really want, obviously, to increase the number of women sports coaches. I have to understand that I'm going to be training brand new coaches. Uh, but that takes a lot of time and money, and you know, getting the right video equipment, what you know, filming myself. Here's how you can work seven drills for how to dribble. Here's how to, you know, train girls on passing with each other. And so just those are kind of the the ways that I've done it so far. But I think that there's about to be a whole bunch of really good progress. Are they all former players or are they yes. fans? Yeah. Yeah, they're all they all have extensive playing experience. Um, and like, like I said, probably about half of them have also been coaches, too, um, or are going to be trained to be coaches. And who are they coaching? What ages? All ages. So we kind of do, we're not an actual team. So we're kind of an add-on service, at least at this point. So we do private lessons, clinics. Um, I'm putting together a summer camp, which I'm really excited about. And so we kind of have them, I have them training in all of those different settings. So, you know, for example, I have a goalkeeper coach who just does a whole bunch of goalkeeper private lessons. Um, Or, you know, I'm trying to get, I'm partnering with some other clubs and schools and hoping to help place coaches, women coaches in those positions as well. And so really it's, I guess, a variety of things that they're doing, but we coach ages two to, you know, I also coach women. So I have, actually, I'm probably not going to say her age. I'm sure she wouldn't like that, Uh, but I have adult (laughs) women who have never played soccer before who want to learn how, and I'm helping them with that too. That's, you brought up a good point. Um, I was going to ask you, do clubs that you've reached out to, do you find them to be receptive to what you're doing? Do they recognize that there is a huge deficit of just women representation in coaching? Yes. Um, not everyone is as receptive, I will say, and mostly because of, you know, the way things are set up in this industry in general. Mostly it's men in all of these positions of power, so I'm pretty much having meetings with probably 95% of the people I'm talking to at these clubs are men. And so some are are definitely more receptive and understand there's an issue, so there's probably going to be a few partnerships announced soon. I just announced one, and they recognize that. 
I mean, for example, I went to one meeting and I, I, I'm overprepared, just who I am as a human. And so I had looked over their website and found that they had actually way under the um, amount of women coaches, even compared to the national standard. And so at first when we were having a conversation, I, did, I don't think you know he understood just how bad the issue was, including at their own club. And so then when I started saying, oh, actually, just so you know, you only have 6% of your coaches are women. I'm not, not sure if you realize that. And then he starts counting. He's like, oh you're right. I can count them on one hand. Uh, and so those kind of moments, I actually really enjoy too, these light bulb moments and our conversation with that person really shifted from there and had, had a great conversation about why this is happening. You know, my experiences as a woman coach and, you know, for example, I told him about one time I was leaving a position, not going to name where, but when I was leaving, I was going to go pursue educational goals, but I was asked three different times by three different men who worked there if I was leaving because I was pregnant. And number wow. one, that's not an appropriate question in general. And also, it's not the only reason I would be leaving a position. Uh, so that that was just a moment of, why was this even asked right now? Uh, so those those definitely lead to light bulb moments for many of the people that I have meetings with. Wow. Tell us about your football. How did you get into football? Yeah, so like I said, I've been a soccer player my whole life, and there, yeah, it's a complicated answer, I guess. There's been a, you know, I wanted to play football since I found out there was women's football a couple of years ago. I saw the team at a parade, and if I'm being honest with myself, I just kind of chickened out when tryouts came, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Um, and then at this point in my life, this, you know, 2018, a lot happened, and I really just wanted to step outside my comfort zone and dive into something that was going to be really challenging and prove to myself that I could do it. And then also there was the added benefit that I saw that tryouts were happening about two months in advance. Uh, so I felt like I would have enough time to prepare for something like that, shifting into a whole new sport, the toll on the body it's going to take, the financial commitment it takes, the you know training, you know weightlifting, eating right, running, just all of the things that it takes. I totally underestimated to just how intense this is. Um, but yeah, it's it's that's why I joined football at this point. Are the coaches men or women? Uh, the CEO of the organization is a woman, which I love, and she's also one of the coaches on the team. And then our head coach and all of the other coaches are men. Interesting. Yes. Do they ask you about your your work life, and are they curious about that? Yeah, I remember I had a really great conversation with our head coach uh, early on. Uh, we were at some event, and I was one of the earliest ones. And so we talked for probably half an hour about some of these same stories that I've already told you about that, that coach who was screaming in my face. Um, and we, it led to a really good conversation about coaching styles. And I told him that when I was going into tryouts, I had already made the decision ahead of time that if I didn't like the coaches or if they, you know, I'm at the point in my life where I'm not going to put up, you know, put up with being treated inappropriately anymore. And I've set boundaries around that. So I went into it with, if I hate the coaches or I hate the team, even if I love the sport, I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to put myself through that. Um, but that first tryout, I fell in love with all of them immediately. The coaches were wonderful. They're really about training us up, you know, understanding that I'm coming from a whole different sport. So teaching me like football 101. I didn't even watch football before this. And so really I'm starting. At wow. And so that would be like me playing. But they have been absolutely amazing about it. And then the players, that first trial, I remember getting like 200 or 300 high fives, not even exaggerating. And just, I was like, wow, this is such a supportive environment. I definitely want to do this. And so, yeah, I was able to have that conversation after the fact with the coaches and it led to a really great discussion. And he was able to tell me about his coaching style and 
I think it led to a lot of light bulb moments for both of us. It's so interesting to me because, you know, I know for one of my sons, like they were trying to figure out who the coach was going to be for the following year. And there was a woman there who was observing and coaching and she seemed really great. She was super on top of it. She was engaged with the kids. And I was really surprised when it was floated like, well, maybe she's going to be the coach next year. It was really interesting to me to hear what some people's obstacles were to young boys, we're talking like eight and nine year olds, having a female coach. And some of them will, well, what is her experience? And it was funny to me because in all the coaches that they've ever had, I don't think I could list what the coach's personal playing experience is. You know, I've never seen a resume like that's just not something you just kind of assume if they're coaching, they're qualified. Um, And people mentioned keeping them on task, like just being able to handle a group of boys. And it was really kind of what you said, a light bulb moment for me, because I just couldn't help but think if we were looking at a field of girls, these things would not be coming up. Um, Or male coaches. Or male, right. And so it's like, that's kind of a dream for me is that I would love for one of my boys at some point to have a female head coach and have that experience. Um, Because I do think it translates in such a big way to how they approach young women and girls that they know and someday hopefully have a female boss or female colleagues that they understand we are meeting as equals and, and that's okay. Yes, I agree 100% with what you're saying. And my experience, my experiences over the years as a coach, you know, for example, I can be on the sideline, I'm the head coach, a dad might be over there before a game helping, you know, with the daughter's backpack or something. And you do know who the referee comes up to? Most often not me, even though I'm the one with all of the coaching attire on and I have to be like, actually, no, this is one of the dads on the team. I'm the head coach. (laughs) My name's Sarah. Uh, And so experiences like that that have happened over and over or when I join a new club or school or something, there's just this automatic assumption that I don't know what I'm doing and I always have to prove myself, even though I've been doing this for 15 years. People just assume, the other coaches, for example, will just assume and they'll, you know, I'm sure you've heard the term mansplaining. Uh, well, they'll come over and, you know, try to teach me on how to do something for coaching. And I'm like, oh, actually, I've been doing this for a long time. You know, I can, you know, thank you for the advice, but, you know, I understand what I'm doing here. And uh, I think so that, those things happen all the time. And those examples, I'm sure the girls pick up on that when those things happen. And it probably triggers some memories of times in their own lives that they've been grossly underestimated for no reason whatsoever. And I, I think kids pick up on this for sure. Yes. And that's also why I'm really excited about being able to show them, you know, having the women coaches, but also even for my own trainings and clinics that I do, being able to show them that I, you know, went out and I started my own company. I tell them that I started playing football and how different that is. And a lot of the girls want to hear about that experience because it's a whole new sport. It's something they've never seen women playing either. I mean, I never did until a couple of years ago. And so that's both of those are (laughs) other things that I really like about doing what I do. Why do you think so few women have played football? when a lot of women have played rugby. I mean, it's a, rugby is very big in college and, and after college. Why not football? Yeah, well, there's not really any teams for us. Uh, you know, for example, I'm at the probably the top league for football, uh, the WNFC, and it's really on the path to becoming similar you know, to how men play, but there's nothing like the NFL equivalent for women right now. You know, for example, we have to 
pay to play basically we don't pay to to our league or anything but all of the costs the travel costs the food costs um you know to you know player dues all of these things that all of the teams and all the players on the teams have to pay versus the men in the nfl are getting paid millions and millions of dollars to play you know their sport uh so there's just not enough teams for us there's not for women's sports in general whether it's you know for soccer for example all of the barriers i could talk about this for hours but all of the barriers that women are facing in general I feel are really heightened in the sports industry. You might have seen the, you know, for example, the women's national team, the women's national soccer team, um, is in the middle of a, you know, equal pay dispute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, as though I'm sure you're probably aware, but the they've won the World Cup several times, not the men. They do significantly better than the men, and yet they get paid so much less, even as the winners of the World Cup versus right. the 16th place or whatever for the men in the World Cup. And so it's very similar for football, but way worse just because sports in general is male-dominated, but football is a whole other level of male-dominated from what, I, what I'm seeing and what I'm learning. Oh, it makes me mad. I know, I know. And it's not to be undone that uh, the women's soccer team is so much more fun to watch. <laughs> Than, than the men, it's so much more entertaining, and I just yeah, it's such a more inspiring team. I think, um, yeah. I agree, definitely. And one of the, one of the things that I laugh about is sometimes you'll see when you watch you know men's soccer games, for example. I really feel like there's a lot more drama. You know, men will purposely fall. Oh, the flopping. Yeah. And women don't do that. We're like, we could have a, you know, bloody head or, you know, our knee is, you know, gushing out blood. We're hurt ourselves. And we're just like, nope, I'm fine. I'm up. Like, well, I think. Because women aren't really allowed to do that. Right. Exactly. If we show weakness, then why are we playing sports? There's just this, you know, we have to really step into being the strong women that we are and show that just so that we can also show like we can play sports we're strong. We can do this. Yeah. So, yeah. What do you think about women coaching? I mean, we sort of touched on this before, but women coaching boys and men. I know the women's um, NFL coach for the 49ers. What is her name? I think her name's Sarah, too. Uh, there's someone. I can't remember her name Sour right now. It's going to come to me later. Um, who was the first female coach? I really can't remember. Oh, Jen Welter, I think is her name. And... Yeah, so I definitely think, like you were touching on earlier, it's really important for boys and men to see women in positions of power as well to really disrupt the stereotypes, uh, whether that's in sports or in the workplace. And there's obviously a lot of benefits for girls, but a a, a lot for boys as well. And that's something I want to focus on in the future. Right now, we're just kind of focusing on girls in sports. Um, But then I love when I see women coaching men's teams and boys' teams. So this is going to go into a bit of a tangent, but when Title IX happened it really opened the doors for a lot of female athletes and, you know, the, you know, increasing funding for that. But the unintended consequences, consequences for that was that now all of a sudden, since there's funding for girls and women's teams, men realize that it's okay for them to coach there as well. Like it's, it actually can be a good career for them to coach these teams. So they really have 100% of the sports teams. They have access to coaching. It's not unusual to see a man coaching a woman's team or a man coaching a girl's teams. But when you flip it, Right. It's, it's way less that you're going to see a woman coaching a boys or men's team. And like you mentioned, all of the questions that are asked having to prove themselves versus a man in that position isn't going to be asked the same things that that woman was in your example. So I think it's really important that we see more women coaching men's teams and boys teams. And, you know, for the example of that, but also just to disrupt the stereotypes in general. And it's funny because when people mention that, you know, like, well, I don't know if she could really keep the boys in line to me. 
being able to keep the kids and, you know, have them listen and behave and pay attention. That's not a coach issue. That's a parenting and kid issue, right? Like if you say, this is your coach, this is who you listen to, and kids don't do that, that's not necessarily on the coach, just like it's not on the teacher necessarily too. You know, there's there's a bit of responsibility to be taken the other way. So it yeah. makes me see just how deep these issues run. And I wonder why we assume that men just inherently know how to keep boys in line. Right. You know, why is that an assumption? I don't think that all men do know how to do that. So, right. I know a lot of single mothers and I'm telling you, they know, (laughs) they hold it down. (laughs) We are moms of boys and we know, I think we could coach those boys. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. For sure. I agree with that. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I just see so many areas that this could be so impactful. What is your big dream for Girl Boss Sports? And are you being approached by other women who have an emphasis in other sports that are like, hey, this we need this in basketball or we need this in lacrosse? What What is your big dream here? Yeah. So my, again, I, like I said before, I get a little too visionary sometimes. So right now I'm trying to focus on the here and now. But my big goals are to make this Right now, we're just focusing on the Seattle area for soccer. But what I want to do is expand, you know, way bigger than that. I would love to have it be across the country or even on a global level. I mean, so earlier I said, for example, that for women coaches in the U.S. for soccer, it's only 21%. But when you look at it globally, it's only 7%. So there's huge global changes that we need to make. So that would be great. And then also, yes, I would like to expand into other sports. And I've definitely been approached by women from basketball, from softball, from so many different sports to name right now. I'm just trying, I just keep telling all of them, like, let me get your contact information. I definitely want to do this. I just don't have the capacity right now. I'm focusing on soccer. Uh, but that's definitely my, my big goals and dreams for this. That's great, Sarah. Yeah. No, I think it's huge. Sarah, tell us, we always ask our guests this, tell us what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Ooh, that's a tough one. I think for me, again, just because I like, I'm someone who gets excited about doing a lot of things, uh, but I read it in the book Essentialism, and so it wasn't from another human face-to-face that gave me this advice, but, so that book, it talks a lot about how if we have too many goals at any given time, we only have so much energy, and that means that all of my goals are only going to get a portion of my energy, so if I have 10, that means none of them are going to get done as best as I want to. And so really focusing on one or two priorities. So right now for me, it's football and training for everything that that is and girl boss sports. And those are my two big goals. And I have to be able to say no to everything else. So other things I might want to do, it's easy to say no to things that I don't want to do. It's harder to say no to things that I want to do, but other things are more important or that I want to do more. So that's probably the best advice I received. That's very good advice. Oh, thank you. I didn't come up with it, but (laughs) is there anything else that you want our listeners to know and come away with? Yes. I just think that, you know, specifically talking to the women who are listening, it's just really important for us. One of the things I've learned is really stepping into who I am and living the life that I want to and not for anybody else. And that's pretty, a pretty new situation for me Uh, before, like I mentioned the briefly, I mentioned the transition from social work into what I'm doing now but I think I had stuck with that for longer than I wanted to and for a few reasons. One of them, fear of diving into something new. Also, I was on this trajectory, this ladder that was expected of me, like here, you know, supervisor to manager to, you know, whatever's next. And I was so stuck on that. 
and loyal that I didn't realize that maybe I wanted to move to a different ladder or a different, you know, industry altogether and actually follow what I want to be doing, not what everyone else is telling me to do. And now that I'm on the other side of that, it definitely took other factors, not me actively making that choice at first. Um, But I'm really thankful for all the situations that happened there that led me to this because I wouldn't have started this company at least now without all of those things happening. Um, And it took a lot of courage and resilience and, you know, picking myself up. But I'm so happy that all of it happened at this point just because I'm actually living the life that I want to and intentionally designing it to be the way that I want it to be. I love that. Along those same lines, we do sometimes get young ladies who are listening to the podcast, and I think some would really be interested in what you're doing. What advice would you give to a girl who is struggling in her sport or thinking about quitting? What what would you say to them? If you can, keep going. I think one of the things about sports is some kids will go into it or parents will go into it thinking that their kid is going to be the one that makes it professionally. Um, number one, there's just not enough professional spots for all of the kids who are playing sports to actually make it. Mm-hmm. And so sports really, for me, some of kids, it is about training them to become those professionals. But the vast majority of the kids we work with, it's not for that purpose. It's to have fun. It's to stay engaged. And it's for all of the other benefits that come along with being involved in sports. You know, for example, sports keep keeps uh, kids in schools. Uh, there's less dropout rates. There's better mental health, there's better social relationships, there's better confidence, all the things that come with playing sports. Those are also reasons I've talked to the girls about staying in sports and the benefits that it's going to have later in life. I've actually told the girls that I'm working with about the statistics around female C-suite executives who played sports during their teenage years and the lessons that they learned along the way and how the girls that I'm working with can do that too. So if if they can stay in sports or find another passion for them that they really want to you know, focus on and love and, you know, give their all to just basically find whatever that thing is for them really just go out and find it and then do it. I love that. Have you thought about doing motivational speaking, Sarah? Um, I have thought about that before. I've done a few, you know, I guess speeches or presentations and I loved it. I talked about, you know, a year ago I did one for, was it employee engagement and retention and leadership in the workplace? And I absolutely love it. One of my goals is to, do a talk or a speech or something at some point for women in leadership. And that's been a goal for the last year now. And so hopefully sometime in 2019, I can do that. Um, But I haven't really, right now my big focus are, you know, football and girl boss sports. And so I haven't thought too much about going into the other, you know, motivational speaking yet. So maybe down the road. I think what's going to be really cool is in five or six years to see the girls that you're working with now, to be able to see where this takes them and to see what your program has done, because it's going to be such a tangible thing um, to see their success in life and to know that so much of it came from having this experience. I absolutely love that. And I can't wait. I mean, even after the, the last week of the clinic that we were doing, the positive feedback from parents really just made me feel like, wow, we really are on the right track with this. Like, I know we are, but to actually hear it from the parents, you know, one of them even told me it was only a five-week program, you know, for an hour and a half for five weeks. And this mom told me after that all of the other parents on this girl's soccer team recognized the difference in her play in just five weeks, not just the soccer skills, but, you know, the fact this girl, you know, falls down a lot and gives up on herself a lot. And in this last week, just to see her, she only fell and gave up twice compared to, you know, 20 in that first week. Yeah. And so just being able to see that shift and to hear that the other parents on the team saw that shift in her as well. I'm like, okay, well, I wonder how far she's going to get now that she started to learn about resilience and getting back up after you fall and leadership and what that means and really seeing her start to own that. 
I'm yeah, I'm really excited too to see about where she's at in a few years. Yeah, I think the mental game is so big. I used to play roller derby and I coached as well. And I used to teach a, a class called, so one of the positions in roller derby is jammer called the jammer mindset and it really made all the difference it was all about the mindset yeah that's that's cool and i think too you know in tandem with leadership stuff it's important to know that when you are part of a team sport you become accountable to your teammates and even in in a situation where you may not be the leader you are still accountable and you have a job to do and holding each other accountable, I think that's such a huge lesson to learn too. So I'm sure that little girl will see how that relates. Like, oh, my team needs me. They need me to stay on my feet. They need me to not give up. I have a job here and I came to do my job. Exactly. And so even for myself, one of the other things that I think is a benefit when I'm coaching right now, at least, is that I'm also a very competitive athlete myself playing football. And so I can talk to them about here's what I'm doing to prepare for games and to prepare for practices. I actually, for myself, you know, to prep, it's I'm all about preparation ahead of time. And so I think about, and I listen to YouTube videos on motivational football speeches or listening to podcast episodes, or I have my playlist that always makes me feel like a boss woman that I listen to before getting on that field and visualization. And I actually visualize myself catching the footballs over and over, making sure I have the right form because that's something that's new to me. And then also, like you mentioned, really thinking about where is my place on this team? How am I going to make an impact in the best way that I can? Because there's 47 of us on this roster. So where do I fit in? I'm a rookie. Even though I love talking about leadership, I'm not in a, in a place to be anything like a captain, but where can I make that impact? Um, and really working to find that. And so for me, I found it's giving my all every single time I'm on that field. At least if I, the coaches say something a lot on this team, if, if you're going to make a mistake, at least do it at 100%. And I really identify with that. Like, at least at the end of the day, I can be an athlete. I know how to do that. I know how to run fast. I know how to work hard. I know how to have a lot of heart. And that's something that I'm really trying to do to make an impact on this team as well. I love that saying. If you're going to make a mistake, at least do it at 100%. Like, I love it too. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Oh. Well, thank you so much, Sarah Wolfer, for joining us. We have loved having you on. And it would be great to check in with you at some point and see how things are going. Because I think... I think this is just such a needed thing that you're doing, and we really appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, I've loved this. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and you can find out more about Sarah at girlbosssports.com. Lots of good information about her programs and what she's doing. And you can check out our podcast, Women in a Day podcast. And if you would like to check out our social media at Facebook and Instagram. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Yes, and thank you to Tony Tarbox, our awesome editor, and we look forward to seeing you next time.